Section 37 of the Essays of Samuel Johnson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Nagami. The Essays of Samuel Johnson. Section 37. The Prohibition of Revenge. Justifiable by Reason the meanness of regulating our conduct by the opinions of men. The Rambler, Tuesday, December 24th, 1751. At vindicta bonum vita jucundius ipsa, nempe hoc indocti. Quaesipis non dicet idem, nec mite talitis. Ingenium dulgique senex vicinus haimeto, qui partem acceptae, Saiwa interwinkia kikutai, accusatore nolet dare, qui pe minuti semper, et infermi est animi, exiguique voluptas ultio. Juvenal. But, O oh, revenge is sweet, thus think the crowd, who eager to engage, take quickly fire and kindle into rage. Not so mild Thales, nor Chrysippus thought, nor that good man who drank the poisonous draught, with mind serene and could not wish to see his vile accuser drink as deep as he. Exalted Socrates, divinely brave, injured he fell, and dying he forgave, too noble for revenge, which still we find the weakest frailty of a feeble mind. Dryden no vicious dispositions of the mind more obstinately resist both the counsels of philosophy and the injunctions of religion than those which are complicated with an opinion of dignity and which we cannot dismiss without leaving in the hands of opposition some advantage iniquitously obtained or suffering from our own prejudices some imputation of pusillanimity for this reason scarcely any law of our redeemer is more openly transgressed, or more industriously evaded, than that by which he commands his followers to forgive injuries and prohibits, under the sanction of eternal misery, the gratification of the desire which every man feels to return pain upon him that inflicts it. Many who could have conquered their anger are unable to combat pride and pursue offences to extremity of vengeance, lest they should be insulted by the triumph of an enemy. But certainly no precept could better become him at whose birth peace was proclaimed to the earth. For what would so soon destroy all the order of society, and deform life with violence and ravage, as a permission to every one to judge his own cause, and to apportion his own recompense for imagined injuries. It is difficult for a man of the strictest justice not to favor himself too much in the calmest moments of solitary meditation. Every one wishes for the distinctions for which thousands are wishing at the same time, in their own opinion, with better claims. He that when his reason operates in its full force can thus by the mere prevalence of self-love prefer himself to his fellow-beings, is very unlikely to judge equitably when his passions are agitated by a sense of wrong, and his attention 
wholly engrossed by pain, interest, or danger. Whoever arrogates to himself the right of vengeance shows how little he is qualified to decide his own claims, since he certainly demands what he would think unfit to be granted to another. Nothing is more apparent than that however injured or however provoked, some must at last be contented to forgive, for it can never be hoped that he who first commits an injury will contentedly acquiesce in the penalty required. The same haughtiness of contempt or vehemence of desire that prompts the act of injustice will more strongly incite its justification, and resentment can never so exactly balance the punishment with the fault. But there will remain an overplus of vengeance, which even he who condemns his first action will think himself entitled to retaliate. What then can ensue from a continual exacerbation of hatred, an unextinguishable feud, an incessant reciprocation of mischief, a mutual vigilance to entrap, and eagerness to destroy? Since then, the imaginary right of vengeance must be at last remitted, because it is impossible to live in perpetual hostility, and equally impossible that of two enemies, either should first think himself obliged by justice to submission, it is surely eligible to forgive early. Every passion is more easily subdued before it has been long accustomed to possession of the heart. Every idea is obliterated with less difficulty as it has been more slightly impressed and less frequently renewed. He who has often brooded over his wrongs, pleased himself with schemes of malignity, and glutted his pride with the fancied supplications of humbled enmity, will not easily open his bosom to amity and reconciliation, or indulge the gentle sentiments of benevolence and peace. It is easiest to forgive while there is yet little to be forgiven. A single injury may be soon dismissed from the memory, but a long succession of ill offices by degrees associates itself with every idea. A long contest involves so many circumstances that every place and action will recall it to the mind, and fresh remembrance of vexation must still enkindle rage and irritate revenge. A wise man will make haste to forgive, because he knows the true value of time, and will not suffer it to pass away in unnecessary pain. He that willingly suffers the corrosions of inveterate hatred, and gives up his days and nights to the gloom of malice and perturbations of stratagem, cannot surely be said to consult his ease. Resentment is an union of sorrow with malignity, a combination of a passion which all endeavor to avoid, with a passion which all concur to detest. The man who retires to meditate mischief and to exasperate his own rage, whose thoughts are employed only on means of distress and contrivances of ruin, whose mind never pauses from the remembrance of his own sufferings, but to indulge some hope of enjoying the calamities of another, 
may justly be numbered among the most miserable of human beings, among those who are guilty without reward, who have neither the gladness of prosperity nor the calm of innocence. Whoever considers the weakness both of himself and others will not long want persuasives to forgiveness. We know not to what degree of malignity any injury is to be imputed, or how much its guilt, if we were to inspect the mind of him that committed it, would be extenuated by mistake, precipitance, or negligence. We cannot be certain how much more we feel than was intended to be inflicted, or how much we increase the mischief to ourselves by voluntary aggravations. We may charge to design the effects of accident. We may think the blow violent only because we have made ourselves delicate and tender. We are on every side in danger of error and of guilt, which we are certain to avoid only by speedy forgiveness. From this pacific and harmless temper, thus propitious to others and ourselves, to domestic tranquillity and to social happiness, no man is withheld but by pride, by the fear of being insulted by his adversary or despised by the world. It may be laid down as an unfailing and universal axiom that all pride is abject and mean. It is always an ignorant, lazy, or cowardly acquiescence in a false appearance of excellence, and proceeds not from consciousness of our attainments, but in sensibility of our wants. Nothing can be great which is not right. Nothing which reason condemns can be suitable to the dignity of the human mind. To be driven by external motives from the path which our own heart approves, to give way to anything but conviction, to suffer the opinion of others to rule our choice or overpower our resolves, is to submit tamely to the lowest and most ignominious slavery and to resign the right of directing our own lives. The utmost excellence at which humanity can arrive is a constant and determinate pursuit of virtue, without regard to present dangers or advantage, a continual reference of every action to the divine will, an habitual appeal to everlasting justice, and an unvaried elevation of the intellectual eye to the reward which perseverance only can obtain. But that pride which many who presume to boast of generous sentiments allow to regulate their measures has nothing nobler in view than the approbation of men, of beings whose superiority we are under no obligation to acknowledge, and who, when we have courted them with the utmost assiduity, can confer no valuable or permanent reward, of beings who ignorantly judge of what they do not understand, or partially determine what they never have examined, and whose sentence is therefore of no weight till it has received the ratification of our own conscience. He that can descend to bribe suffrages like these at the price of his innocence, he that can suffer the delight of such acclamations to withhold his attention from the commands of the universal sovereign, has little reason to congratulate himself 
upon the greatness of his mind. Whenever he awakes to seriousness and reflection, he must become despicable in his own eyes and shrink with shame from the remembrance of his cowardice and folly. Of him that hopes to be forgiven, it is indispensably required that he forgive. It is therefore superfluous to urge any other motive. On this great duty, eternity is suspended, and to him that refuses to practice it, the throne of mercy is inaccessible, and the Savior of the world has been born in vain. End of chapter 37 Recording by Pamela Nagami